Thank you. Right. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stat 2? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. No. Two in the box! Ready to go! We be fast and they be slow! Wow! General? Would you care to step outside? Superman! A second Super Saiyan? Second in order, perhaps, but by no means in stature. Your fight is with me now. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Oh, please. Please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. Well, there's nothing like having an episode where we talk about burying your childhood animals, having trauma as a kid, Indian, Native American, um misappropriation and nothing like fathers regretting what they've done i'm talking of course about the stephen king adaptation films pet cemetery 2 hey what are you doing getting things ready for mom mom's dead jeff she doesn't have to be something strange now, I didn't think much about it until I saw him drag the body out of the coffin. Something ancient. Bury your own. Something evil. Was it your idea of a joke to send me blood from a dead animal? This dog is alive. Not this dog. Something terrifying is happening in Ludlow, Maine. Again. Pick up your family and get the hell out of that town. Pet Cemetery 2. Some stories just won't stay dead. Um, hey everyone, you're probably wondering what I'm blabbering about, but that's today's episode. I am Chris. You know what we do here, the host of Inside the Sequel. Uh, it's the show where we talk about sequels that don't get enough love, overlooked, probably better than the originals, if we're really keeping count. Uh, but anyway, I'm here today with a very special guest. I'm super excited. As you can tell, I'm out of breath because I'm just so nervous that he's here. He's kind of cute. I don't know what to say, but I'm here with Daniel, the host of Cobwebs. Daniel, why don't you say hi? I am here because the soil of my heart is stony. <laughs> hey, you know what's crazy? We went to Westminster College where Winston Churchill gave his speech. And there's a cat in these movies named Churchill or Church. Yeah, I, I feel like this was meant to be. We were destined to do this podcast. I can't believe they didn't make it mandatory to watch the Pet Cemetery movies, but they made us have to watch Darkest Hour. Like that's going to be connected to us. You know what? Unpopular opinion, I know. I kind of like Darkest Hour. I thought it was a good movie. Don't tell my professors. I didn't see that movie. <laughs> But let me ask, is Darkest Hour a sequel or a prequel to Dunkirk? Kind of both. <laughs> oh, I was thinking, isn't it a sequel to Lincoln because it's just all about political figures? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, anyway, Daniel, why, uh, what do you do? People should know, but just in case they did, we have new listeners and they're like, what the heck is Cobwebs? Which, shame on you. Um, why don't you tell them about what you do on your podcast? Sure. I host Cobwebs, a gothic cinema podcast. I've been doing it for a little over a year now. Um, basically, it's a horror movie podcast, but we really focus in on old gothic horror movies. Um, really, the, the main pitch is we do more deep dives into classic horror like Universal Monsters, Vincent Price, 
Hammer Horror than just about any other horror podcast on the internet. Um, that was really the void that I sought to fill as I just wanted deeper coverage on those kind of movies, and, and uh, particularly Hammer. Uh, we just finished up a series on the Dark Castle remakes as well as the classic movies that inspired them. So, like, we started out talking about the Vincent Price House on Haunted Hill, and we also talked about the Dark Castle remake, and we went through three other of those. So, you can check that out. It's called uh, Cobwebs, a Gothic Cinema Podcast. We're also at cobwebspodcast.com. Yes, this, folks, for those who are listening, this podcast is awesome. It's grown in popularity, which makes me excited because that means there's a people out here that share the movies that Daniel loves and he's been introducing me to. So it's not like he showed me these movies to show it to me. There's a following and there's a community of people that are worth getting to know because of these movies. Um, I don't think I would have started this Inside the Sequels podcast and done Bright of Frankenstein if it wasn't for Cobwebs and Daniel constantly talking about Universal Monsters and then the movies that they inspired. Um, but you should check out that episode for sure. Um, but Daniel, I really want to ask you... Uh, when you poked me to do this episode, I was a little confused because, like, I was like, "There's a Pet Cemetery 2? because I hadn't seen the original. I had seen only the remake in theaters, and boy, let me tell you, that was a marathon. Um, so I was kind of nervous, but I watched both of them, and I have a lot to say. So I'm glad you did. But one thing I really had to question you on is, you have read the books and really liked them, correct? There's only one book, but the you book. are correct. Yeah. yeah. Actually, this is kind of a shame, and some people are going to hate me for this, but I have read one Stephen King book, and it's Pet Cemetery. Okay, that was going to be the thing, because like, I was going to say, isn't that like the only one you've read, and you really like it? So That's great. I haven't read any of the Stephen King books I barely have read in my life. Um, but, oh man, what were your thoughts with the first Stephen King um, adaptation of Pet Cemetery? Not the, I don't know if you saw the remake or not, uh, but... What did you think of the first movie when you watched it? Oh, I'm really, really excited to get into this. But can we can we backtrack a little bit first? Because first of all, I just want to tell you, um, I feel like I haven't got a chance to say thank you for having me on this show. I'm really excited oh. to be here. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of Inside the Sequel. I thought your last episode on Blade Runner 2049 was really, really great. Even though you and Seth got really drunk, somehow the podcast worked out anyway. <laughs> yeah, I edited it drunk too. I don't know if you could catch that part too. <laughs> but it's, it's good. I love the theme of this show. Uh, sequels is definitely an interest of mine because I really like franchises. And I like especially when, they, when the sequels just keep coming and they don't reboot the continuity. <laughs> like, I like it when continuity just keeps going and going and going. <laughs> so a couple of the top examples of that for me are Fast and the Furious. Right. Man, the continuity is crazy at this point, and it just keeps on trucking along. And Child's Play. Child's Play went for seven movies before getting a reboot. And, uh, and the last movie just included so many different characters from different movies of the past. And uh, I find that kind of thing really entertaining. So I like sequels. And if... Can I can I hijack your podcast for a moment, Chris? Because I you already I brought, have. Well, yeah, <laughs> I brought a list with me. That is right. Oh man, I'm just so excited to talk about these movies. Uh, but I need to ask. I, I I'm such a terrible host. If you want to be no no no, uh, no hosted no. by an awful guy, you should be on <laughs> here because I'm gonna forget to introduce my guests. But Daniel is a big movie guy, and Daniel, I forgot to even ask. Do you even like sequels? <laughs> like, yeah, man, I like sequels. You know, you know, like. Like I said, I like it when continuity just keeps going. You know a franchise that drives me crazy? Oh, boy. Is Let's hear it. It's the Terminator franchise. Because they keep rebooting the continuity, and they keep saying, like, 
ah, okay, the other ones didn't count. We're just going to kind of start over or just go from the second one. And that's that's what loses interest for me in, in a franchise. Because, like, if the Terminator movies had exactly the same amount of quality that they currently have, like Genesis is just as bad as it is and Salvation is just as bad, I would still be more interested if the continuity was consistent and it kept moving the story forward. But it doesn't. It keeps rebooting. So uh, I like yeah. sequels. Uh, great, dude. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Terminator because I do plan on doing a Terminator episode, but mainly not on two, but on three because I Ooh. love Terminator 3 Rise of the Machine and I watch that one maybe as equally as much as the other two. Um, Salvation Genesis, whichever one had Christian Bale, I saw that one and I kind of forgot about it. Um, and then I didn't see the other one. And then I didn't see Dark Fate, which I kind of was excited about, but then it was like, I kind of forgot that it was in theaters and missed out on that. But uh, yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Daniel, what are like your favorite sequels? Well, here's the thing. Um, I, you know, you asked me to be on this podcast and by you asked, I mean, I demanded, uh, I invited myself basically. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish more people were like that. I hate being like, Hey, please. Like with my fingers pointing, Hey, please. Can you be on the podcast with me? <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just quarantining. So I just want the chance to just hang out and chat. <laughs> Yo, Daniel is quarantining and chilling with these movies. I swear. That's right. But, but when I, when I was like, okay, I'm going to be on the show. I wanted to bring something different because I'm going to be on. I wanted to bring something new. So I brought a top five list. These are my top five sequels that I think are better than the original. Now these you know are, I love top fives. <laughs> that's right. These are all part twos. So nothing past two is allowed. And I think people might find this list strange because a lot of the movies that you might expect to be on this list are not because the vast, vast, vast majority of the time I like the original better than the sequel almost all the time. So movies that I think a lot of people would put on this list are Empire Strikes Back, The Dark Knight, Terminator 2, Aliens. I personally don't think any of those are better than the original. I like the original wow. better on all of those franchises, but here are five examples. All right. Number five, you ready for this, Chris? Oh, dude, I'm so ready. <laughs> number five, Bill and Ted's bogus journey. I have a feeling we're about to embark upon a most unprecedented expedition. Once they made history. I must see to it that you die. Now they are history. Bill and Ted are dead. Ah, recent watch for you. Nice. Well, I, I'd seen it before, but I did just recently rewatch mm -hmm. it because, you know, uh, 2020's got me all pumped up on Bill Ted. <laughs> Even though I haven't seen Face the Music yet because I'm too cheap to spend $20 on a digital movie, you know? Boy, like, yeah. <laughs> if somebody was standing right in front of me and was like, uh, give me $25 for Bill and Ted Face the Music on Blu-ray, I'd be like, yes, right now, done. But on digital... So I'm waiting, but I did rewatch Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. I think it's way better than Excellent Adventure. I think it's just so crazy and audacious and weird, and it's hysterically funny. It's a phenomenal <laughs> comedy. I don't know if you've seen this one, but this is where Bill and Ted actually die, and they go to, like, purgatory, but they meet with mm -hmm. death, and he yep. kind of decides whether they're going to heaven or hell, and they go to both heaven and hell, and it's this big, crazy adventure. Uh, I love this movie. Have you seen Bogus Journey? I have. I watched it with my brother growing up. He likes that one a lot and actually rented it plenty of times. I actually prefer the original. I uh, just watched that one more because I like when they go to medieval times and stuff like that. That's always fun for me. Sure, yeah. Um, but no, my brother actually likes that movie more. But we did grow up watching Bill and Ted. Um, can't say I'm super pumped for the third movie just because the the streaming version of it. And I'm such a... 
I feel like I'm fighting like a personal war against VOD right now. Um, oh, so, good luck. <laughs> yeah, so it's like I'm kind of out of the loop with that. Uh, but no, I'm, that's a pretty good start. Let's keep going. Keep it going. Yep. Uh, this one you're going to totally agree with me and you're going to be pumped to hear it. Friday the 13th Part 2. On a June night in 1980, Friday the 13th, 12 of her friends were murdered. Why should Friday the 13th, 1981, be any different? Friday the 13th, part two. Absolutely. Absolutely. Although Justice for Mrs. Voorhees on Blu-ray releases of the original. Yeah, I'm not a hater of the original. I find it charming. I find it pleasant to have on. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's a great movie. I don't think it's particularly well directed. But part two, like I said this on another podcast one time. The thing about the Friday the 13th franchise is they're like mediocre movies that often got directors who are way too good for them. And Steve (laughs) Miner is like a killer director. So he directs the hell out of part two and part three. And then you got Joseph Zito who just crushes it with part four. So, right. um, yeah, it's it, the kills are great. The characters are wonderful. I like Baghead, Jason, so I'm a big fan. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll move it right along so we can get to Stephen King. Number three, uh, Dawn of the Dead, 1978. What are they doing? Why do they come here? Some kind of instinct, memory, what they used to do. This was an important place in their life. When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. We are down to the line, folks. We are down to the line. Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree there. Yeah. Yeah, I think some people would agree. I think some people would think that's controversial because Night of the Living Dead is such a classic. Great movie, but Dawn of the Dead, I think it's one of the best horror movies I've ever seen. I actually had... I I had the opportunity. I saw this one theatrically uh, at a screening, which I've later found out is super rare because the guy who owns the rights is super picky on letting anything done with them. So... Um, wow. I'm really, I feel really lucky. I got to see it theatrically and I got uh-huh. a poster of it signed by one of the actors. Oh cool. yeah, that's, that's right. You should, that was like one of the first things you showed me and I was like, what the hell? Like, that's so cool. <laughs> I didn't know you, that was a thing you could do. Um, yeah, you know, that's great that you brought that up because, um, I, I too like this, another sequel. I like day of the dead more, but, um, when you say classics, you know, and it's like, people are like, oh, people will say it's controversial because a classic is like a classic, you know, to me. No movie's taboo, even if it's a classic original with sequels. I still think it's up for debate on that. I don't think there's untouchable movies, you know what I mean? At least in my opinion. I know that's crazy in itself. So um, that's what I hope to break the mold with this podcast at some point is that when we've, we're not going to be talking about popular movies all the time, especially to start, because everyone's done an MCU ranking with sequels to hell and stuff like that. And I don't want to do all that, but eventually I do want to tackle some classics with sequels and maybe put some debate on there. But no, really good one. Let's go. Top three, baby. I'm salivating. Okay. Number two, this is a movie I know. I'm not sure if you've seen and haven't seen it or, but I know you don't care about it, but that's fine. You know, it's one of my favorite (laughs) movies. Uh, Star Trek II: the wrath of Khan. I shall leave you as you left me. Marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried alive. You've talked to me plenty of times and I respect your love for it. So yeah, I just, Star Trek isn't my cup of tea. 
Sure. Yeah, I'm a big Star Trek guy. I mean, I haven't seen, like, all of the TV shows. I've seen all of the original, but, you know, I really like Next Gen and Voyager. I just haven't seen all of it. But anyway, I do love the movies. I went through the entire franchise fairly recently, and I, I really fell in love with the franchise. But Star Trek II is far and away the best of the movies. It's a, hmm. Basically, it's an incredible military strategy submarine movie, except it's on spaceships instead of actually in submarines. But I, I think uh, it's my favorite just straight sci-fi movie, personally. And wow. uh, I think William Shatner g- gives – he gives one of my favorite performances in any movie ever. Like, I know people call William Shatner a bad actor. I get it. Um, he's certainly given his his share of hammy performances. But Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is not one of them. I think it's a brilliant performance. And he's one of my favorite – Captain Kirk is just so close to my heart. He's one of my favorite characters of all time. Um, but The Wrath of Khan is just one of the most fun, exciting, intense, emotional blockbusters I've ever seen. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do I hear, because I'm not as fluent with the Star Trek movies, but I hear like it's the odd number Star Trek movies where they're a little bit like suspect, but like the even number ones are pretty good rides. That's what people say, but I mean, I really like Search for Spock and I even enjoy Final Frontier, which are three and five. So I don't totally agree with that all the time. But yeah, the, the even numbers are usually pretty bulletproof. Didn't you also like binge through them like last summer? Or I remember your, yeah. your letterbox just... Star Trek everything, and I was always anticipating to see where the ratings would go and stuff on that. I love it when I get obsessed with a franchise. Um, you know, it's something that I can't plan. It just has to kind of happen organically. <laughs> but, like, the one I did before Star Trek was um, uh, X-Men. I went through every X-Men movie, and that was Ooh, really Oh, that's too. a fun one. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's rocky. It's ups and downs, but it was fun yeah. going through the franchise. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, well, I'll keep that one in my back notes right there for you. All right, so top two, dude. You better make this worth it because I, I can't actually think what you're going to put down. Well, I'm actually on I'm on the number one, and it's a pretty obvious one. I think if you sat down and thought of it about it for 30 seconds, you'd come up with what it is. But it's Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. Interesting fellow, your friend. Well, I won't take much of your time. Parker, now I remember you. You're Connor's student. Tells me you're brilliant. He also tells me you're lazy. I'm trying to do better. Well, being brilliant's not enough, young man. You have to work hard. Intelligence is not a privilege, it's a gift. And you use it for the good of mankind. Oh, Best yeah. Ever made. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a for perfect trilogy. Well, I don't know. It's been a while since I saw three, but I'm not going to be on air to bash three. I'm just because sure. I haven't seen it in a while, you know? Yeah, it's not, um, not a perfect trilogy, but it's a perfect top two. And uh, Spider-Man 2, I still say it's the best superhero movie ever made. I don't think anything's ever going to knock it out for me. Um, it's just incredibly... I, I'm really emotional about it because I have a lot of nostalgia. But, you know, I have a lot of nostalgia for the first movie, too. But it doesn't engage, like, my brain as an adult as deeply as Spider-Man 2 does. And uh, And I think... Alfred Molina as Doc Ock is the best comic book movie villain ever. You know, I'm sorry, Heath Ledger and and Josh Brolin, but Doc Ock is the top for me. And Tobey Maguire will always be my favorite Spider-Man. Love this movie. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We need, I need that plaque somewhere (laughs) that, you know, but man, when you said Josh Brolin, I was blanking for a second and I was like, wait, what was Josh Brolin in? But then I was like, oh, right. Thanos. And then I thought, oh, Marvel MCU. That feels like a long ass time ago now, even though that was last year. Hey, no MCU movies in 2020. It's official now. Not one. Hmm. Yeah, Black yeah, Widow just you... got moved. Yeah, that, that was uh, kind of a bummer. I was actually excited for that one. Uh, but, man, that's your top five. That's uh, not what I expected. 
I challenge myself now to make some sort of list like that. I don't think I can. Well, you have plenty um, of episodes to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. Um, no, but that's great. Did you, when you were growing up, did you like catch yourself watching like the sequels more than the originals? Like, I don't know. Maybe that was just me weird, being weird as a kid, but I always would like watch the sequel movies more than the originals because for some reason in my head, I've always embedded if I watch a movie too many times, I'm going to grow to not like it. So I always think, well, I don't want to ruin the original, so I'm going to watch the sequels. But then I end up liking the sequels almost maybe more than the originals. And I don't even think to mention the originals because they're like, to me it's like obvious news. Everyone loves Nightmare on Elm Street. It's obvious news. No need to talk about it. But Nightmare 2, I, I, I don't know. I, it, you know what I mean? It's like kind of that thing. So I'm curious, were you like that growing up or were you like that more as an adult? I don't think I was growing up because pretty much all the movies I can think of that I watched over and over as a kid, not many – were sequels outside of like the the 90s Batman movies but even then I think I watched the original Jack Nicholson one the most but yeah mm. like my top movies when I was a kid were like Jurassic Park Jaws Jumanji um A Christmas Story believe it or not love that movie <laughs> Ooh. Um, yeah not not a ton not as many sequels I'll say uh interesting yeah. but nowadays like I kind of know what you mean about not not being careful not to watch the original too much cuz like my yeah. brain immediately went to the Halloween where like when I watch <laughs> Halloween 1978 original uh it's mm-hmm. got to be like the perfect time uh, it's got to be the perfect experience but i'll throw on halloween 2 or halloween 4 anytime you know it doesn't <laughs> matter i'll watch it anytime it's like lighting some candles getting the lighting right that's right getting something a really good meal or drink ready and you're like all right about to do this <laughs> you know i'm ready yeah. <laughs> yeah that's what we do folks if you're listening just imagine us in like robes at night in our own apartments and just getting our bodies ready for a movie. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. Well, dude, I'm glad you talked about that. I, uh, I, I need to get better. Like asking, uh, and putting guns to people's head and be like, what's your favorite sequel movies right now? Because honestly, I don't think there's enough talk about sequels. I really don't. I feel like when you talk about, like, I, I was talking to a couple people, um, in public the other day and we were talking about sequels and they're like, Oh dude, sequels just absolutely suck. Like I just put them as background to laugh at. And I'm like, ah, yeah, somebody said sure. that. Yeah. Can you believe that? Jeez. Um, and I was just like, it's not like I do a show where I just talk about sequels. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just so interested in hearing people's thoughts about it. I'm so happy to have you on this show now and kind of pick your brains on these insane movies um, and all the guests that have been on here before, especially Nathan with that Shrek 2 episode. Um, that was divine. <laughs> yes. But Daniel, what is your, like, what's your experience with Stephen King movies? Um, like the it movies, the, the, the pet cemeteries. I don't know if you've seen any other ones. I'm sure you have more than I have. I can think. Um, I really like movies based on Stephen King because I love that Stephen King atmosphere. And I think it's possible that Stephen King atmosphere isn't, uh, consistently a consistent idea for everybody. But for me, it's very specific. It's Mm -hmm. autumn. It's a small town, particularly on Mm -hmm. the East coast. And uh, yeah, that small town old fashioned atmosphere is important. Like even though they're usually not period pieces, except for like it, I can't think of many other period pieces. um, They feel almost like it's 1950s world. I mean, even if you look at sleepwalkers, which wasn't based on one of his books, but he wrote the screenplay. um, There's fifties music going all throughout it. That that's also true for Christine as well, um, which also has that atmosphere. Both those movies really really have it very well so does the dark half so does the recent at least it chapter one for sure but for me top stephen king atmosphere the peak the movie that most gives me warm fuzzy stephen king feelings inside is Mm -hmm. pet cemetery 1989 
What is this place? I brought you here to bury Alan's cat. Daddy, is church all right? Why, Judd? I have Marines. I dreamed he got hit by a car, and you and Mr. Crandall buried him in the pet cemetery. What did we do tonight, Judd? What we did, Lois, was a secret. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Has anyone ever buried a person up there? May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. You're thinking thoughts best not thought of. Daddy's gonna do something really bad. You're thinking of putting him up there. Don't deny the thought hadn't crossed your mind. Come back to me, Gage. Come back to us. Paramount Pictures presents Stephen King's all-time best-selling tale of horror. cemetery it's a movie that i used to think was just okay and i think for a lot of good reasons because the movie is messy and it's rocky and it has at least two Mm -hmm. performances that don't really work but i love the way it makes me feel which is weird because it's so dark um and that that's kind of something that we'll get into especially with pet cemetery too but the stephen king atmosphere is so thick in that movie for me that uh it it makes me feel good when it's on and uh it's one of my favorite 80s horror movies now i love the original pet cemetery a lot and i do think that some of the gaps in storytelling that aren't so great in the movie are filled in by the book because i do love the book very much yeah dude that's literally like the first thing uh i wanted to talk about was the stephen king vibes um when watching the first one now and then the second one, and then I think back to my favorite Stephen King adaptation being Mer- um, uh, Misery. I got that, and I'm like, I'm thinking every Stephen King movie I've seen, so I've seen those, and it, and I'm like, they all feel like TV movies, but like not rolling my eyes or boring. They're like, I'm like, I love this so much, and I wanted to keep going with the vibes, and it don't, it totally does. And I'm like, kept thinking when I was watching Pet Cemetery '89, I was like. Man, I could see like this being on TV right now, and I know if I was watching, sitting down watching, I'd be pissed if like a commercial came on, you know, to stop it because it's like I want more of that atmosphere. Um, and in comparison to the remake that came out, um, that I saw for it, it didn't feel like that when I looked back on it. It didn't have any of that at all. Um, I think the casting, um, I think is a little bit better in the remake, but I do, I do love the chemistry of the characters in that first one. Um, I love church in the movie. Um, I love just how the cat is. I remember there's times in my bathroom where I turn on the light and then there's Jonesy there with her eyes yellow <laughs> hissing at me like that. And then a dead rat, you know, coming inside my toilet when I'm taking a bath <laughs> or a shower, a bathtub, not a toilet. I don't bathe in the toilet folks. Um, <laughs> how big are you? Um, <laughs> right. You know what I mean when I ask that. Oh, Oh yeah, um, but man, I, I I did really enjoy this pe- first Pet Cemetery. I was actually nervous. I thought it was gonna be a little weak in a way with sure. like the scares because it was like '89, and like to me, I didn't see any of these, so I saw the re- the remake and I didn't read the book, so I kept thinking it's Pet Cemetery, kind of like horror light, goosebumpy for uh, at the audience, you know. So I thought maybe I wasn't gonna get that vibe, but I was watching it and I was like, ooh, I'm totally wrong about this, absolutely wrong about it. Um, it's just really good stuff. Why does it take place in Maine though, too? <laughs> oh, uh, Stephen, I believe Stephen King is from Maine. He's obsessed yeah, with Maine. Yeah, yeah. That's just the running gag with that. Um, so tell me about, um, Pet Cemetery 1. Like, what are your thoughts on it? You, you, you brush on like you used to not thought it was okay and stuff, but now you said you love it. Like, get me through that process of that. I think the thing that made me love it, honestly, was the remake. Because I saw the remake 
And I didn't think it, it honestly, when I first saw it, I thought it was pretty good, but it's a movie that's only diminished in my brain. The more and more I think about it and the more distance I get from it, I've never revisited mm-hmm. it, but it just, it's just kind of flat and it doesn't really make me feel anything. And it's so the colors are so dull and I don't know. I love how idyllic the world of pet cemetery feels at the beginning when they first move into that house. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just so bright and it's so cheerful and, and, and nothing ever feels cheerful in that remake. I don't know, but I, I just, I saw the contrast and I saw, okay, I've seen how it really doesn't work. And then I, I rewatched the original and I just kind of fell in love with it because it was everything that the new one wasn't for me. And, and the thing mm. is the pet cemetery is so dark. It's bleak as hell, but the thing I really like about Mary Lambert, and she is the director of both these movies, yep. and I find her so interesting, and we'll talk about her quite a bit, is uh, I think she um, she marries two conflicting things so well in the first Pet Cemetery, and I think you can kind of uh, say it for the second one, too. Just unbelievably grim, dark, dark, dark horror with kind of silly, ridiculous, fun horror. It's very weird, and I think... She reminds me a little bit of Toby Hooper, honestly. And, and it reminds me a little bit of what Toby Hooper does in Texas Chainsaw 2. But that's mm-hmm. to a greater degree. Because in Texas Chainsaw 2, it's more overtly silly. But Pet Cemetery is goofy in like a very sincere way where it's not trying to be goofy, but it is. But then it's still mm-hmm. really dark. And I don't know. The meeting of those two things I find really charming and almost comforting. I really like it. Yeah, I agree absolutely. I think she has a way of really balancing it because I kept thinking with the first and in the second one, I'm like, I'm like, geez, Louise, I feel my heart goes out to these characters so much, but at the same time, there's like horrorness where I'm like, geez, Louise, like, I can't believe it's the same movie. You know what I mean? And oh man, ugh, the first movie, uh, I just in compare when I, I was the same way when I when I was thinking back to the remake, I don't know if Pet Cemetery works in like modern directing style you know like the way it's directed the first time i feel like is the quintessential way you direct a story of a movie like that does that make sense i just feel like the modern take of it i don't buy as much as like a old-fashioned movie from like you know the 80s it you know does that make sense yeah I it's like remaking what you're it. saying because sorry go ahead i was gonna say it's like remaking like a uh, like a 40s noir movie in black and white and rebooting it in like the 2010s i don't feel like it works at all it has to be that perfect period of time i feel like pet cemetery that story contained fits so well in that 80 late 80s directing style and storytelling than in when in 2018 you know where the cat church is on the road and it looks the way it does and it does these modern techniques of panning close up and a wide and and I just, I just don't buy it at all. I don't buy into the world that it's in. It feels like a big, bu- it does, it feels like a big budget movie, and I don't like that because this movie feels the original one feels so much more like somebody cared about making the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I know what you're saying, and I'll word it like this: I think there is a level of total unabashed sincerity to the original Pet Cemetery, and even the stuff that's goofy or doesn't really work. Like I will say, Pascal, I don't really think Pascal works. <laughs> But there, Mary Lambert plays it so straight and so sincere. And I don't know that like even the things that aren't great about that movie charm me. But I will say the thing that Mary Lambert does so well, and it's really in full throttle in Pet Cemetery 2, and we'll get into it, is just insanely fucked up horror. And 
Uh, Zelda in the first one, brilliant, brilliant, terrifying horror sequences. She just nails those scenes. Yes. Um, I think it maybe is even better than the remake with those scenes. And the amount of gore that's early on in the movie, I I was like, wow, all right, we're already strapped in. You know what I mean? And um, I just really love the kids in the first movie too. Like I, I, they're really enjoyable. Like when um, the dad is talking to his kids here in Chicago, she's like, Oh, make sure to, to, to pet church for me and stuff like that. And he just buried it. And I'm like, Oh man, like thinking like as a dad having to tell your kid that your the house pet died, you know, like just those kind of thoughts in my head. I'm like, Oh man, like I really feel for that. You know? I'm glad you like um, it, the first movie, because I, I, I kind of expected to come on here and have to defend it because I, I know a lot of people don't like this movie, the original Pet Cemetery, or they think it's just, eh, it's fine, but it, it's good to hear. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it's because I watched the remake maybe first and then learned, like, I roughly appreciate this one more, you know? I feel like if I, you know what I mean? I feel like I see, like, I don't think it, that worked well. And now seeing it, a different take on how it was made, I think that works a lot better. And I like that more. And honestly, it's the fall season two. And I was watching it in the late evening. And, I you know, I, it was a perfect set. But, like, I think the story works really well. I like the story a lot. But um, I really recommend people check out the first one. But I really want to just talk about the sequel because yes. I will just go off straight off the bat. I'm hitting the home run. I absolutely love this sequel 100%. <laughs> like, I want to buy the Scream Factory and own it and cherish it because this sequel is fucking bonkers and I did not expect it at all. And I just kept writing notes and notes and notes and notes because like, I love this. I love this. I love this. And I love this. Um, so yeah, watch the original and enjoy it. But if you want to have the real fun, you have to watch the sequel. That old Lewis was one sick puppy digging up little gauge maggots pouring out of the dead kid's eyes. Ellie Creed was the only one that lived. Then one night, she freaks out. Hacks up the grandparents with an axe. Police found her licking the brains off the blade. Threw her in the psycho ward. All she could say were two words. Pet cemetery. Here's the best part. Two nights ago, she escapes. Man, I hope she doesn't show up here. Really? Shit. We wouldn't even recognize her. Not if she was wearing a costume. You know, I like the original better, but I totally understand where you're coming from because the Pet Cemetery 2, it is the Texas Chainsaw 2 to Pet Cemetery's Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> it's just everything cranked way up and it's way crazier and more bonkers in every way. The funny thing is, I picked this to want to do a show on with you before I'd mm-hmm. seen the movie. Never seen Pet Cemetery 2, which is weird, Same. but. I just, I've always been curious about it, and I just wanted a place to talk about my love for Pet Cemetery 1, honestly. Um, but I've just always been really curious to see this movie, and, and I thought it might make for an interesting conversation. And I'm so glad that I think it will make for an interesting conversation, because there's so much to talk about. So interestingly, mm-hmm. uh, Mary Lambert, she wanted the sequel to be about Ellie Creek, the daughter. Um, but the studio, oh. weirdly enough thought that the movie they were uncomfortable greenlighting the movie with a teenage girl lead which is strange because how many horror movies can you think of with a teenage right. girl lead tons of them i almost wonder if there was some kind of sexism at play where they were like ah, we've got a female director and a female lead that's too much if we're gonna have a female director we need a male lead uh, that's hmm. the only thing i can think of which is gross but you know no one cares about greenlighting the movie from west craven starring a female lead you know Nobody's right i was about no to, to say that 
especially in the early 90s and late 80s. Like, I mean, gosh, like you literally just had a decade of doing that. Yeah. So the movie starts out with Edward Furlong. He is our lead and his mom is a movie star, weirdly enough. And uh, it's his mom dies in the opening scene because people have to die in Pet Cemetery movies. And it's Ugh. the most unbelievably gratuitous thing where she electrocutes for so long and she burns mm-hmm. and her face is charring. And it's just right. Because so she's a movie gratuitous. star on this movie set. Yeah. yeah. And it's like no one's like thinking, oh, let's just make sure everything's secured and safe for our leading lady, which takes place in a castle, which is like kind of spooky to start the movie off. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, and it also starts off with crazy 90s metal music as well. Oh, so much of this movie. movie. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell? But yeah, Edward Furlong is a star. And this was, I, I think, the same year as Terminator 2. Um, a year and after. Yeah. A year after. Um, and So he did that and he did this. And then he did uh, American History X. And man, I if you just took these three movies from Edward Furlong, I would love the guy. I, lo- I love him. <laughs> He's so good at this movie. I love how he's such a, a hard kid. But honestly, he is like probably the most um, emotionally attached I am to me throughout the whole movie of watching. I was like, oh my God, I feel so bad for this freaking kid. He just has the worst effing luck. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so his mom dies and he's with his dad now. And his dad is a vet, which is funny because in the first movie, the dad is a human doctor. Yeah. So now the dad's a vet in this one. Um, and they move to the small town where the first pet cemetery was, and they move into a house, and everyone's like, oh, you know, the pet cemetery. And the thing I cannot believe about this movie is what kind of pit of hell did Mary Lambert pick out the bullies for this movie? Because they are legitimate <laughs> sadistic demons. The first oh thing they do when, when they, these bullies, the Clyde, I believe is his name, when he sees Edward Furlong, he literally goes, I think something like, ha, your mom fucking died, loser, and then starts bullying him. And I'm like... What the hell is this? <laughs> well, this movie is completely absent of, like, good taste. It's just <laughs> as trashy as it can be. And and Lambert tells you that from the opening scene, that, like, if you're here for something classy, get out right now. Um, yes. and, and what's so interesting, I don't know if you've ever heard her talk, but I've seen her in a couple of trailers from Hell commentaries, you know, from Joe Dante's website. She is just nice. the sweetest little lady with this tiny little voice, but she makes these movies that are so screwed up. Yeah. The, the first thing I want to say is about the town. I like that the town feels very different than it did from the beginning of the first one. It's very gloomy. It's sad. Mm-hmm. It You really feel the weight of the horrible horrible things that happened in the first movie and it feels like this town has gone through some shit now and i really like that (laughs) but yeah the uh the bullies are you know stephen king movies they tend to have horrible bullies it stand by me you know it's kind of a thing with him but this might be Mm -hmm. the worst bullies i've ever seen i can't believe it pit of hell you're totally right exactly at one point i thought they were friends but then they were like hey you fucked up our summer losers and i'm like oh they're they're not friends and then they they scare him in a graveyard by having a stuffed scarecrow that makes it look like edward furlong's mom which i'm like <laughs> who makes this kind of effort to torture the uh, a kid like who does that they're the same age um but the biggest thing i think the reason this town is in doom and gloom is because the trooper of the town gus so Edward Norton moves to this town, and he becomes friends with um, this kid, uh, Jeff. I love you and just called Jeff Edward has... Furlong Edward Norton. <laughs> no, Edward Furlong <laughs> is friends with this kid named Jeff, and Jeff has a dog named Zoe. And Edward Furlong's character, uh, I just got to pull it up, Drew, 
Um, wait, no, Drew is the kid who has the dog Zoe, and Jeff is Edward Furlong, excuse me. But anyway, Jeff's dad takes care of um, the dog Zoe, and I just think like that's where their connection comes, and then we meet Gus. And I knew this guy Gus was going to be a piece of crap because <laughs> Gus tells the vet, Oh, you're married to you were married to the girl. Sad that she died. You know, and he tells over Furlong's character. You know, your mom and I used to be sweethearts. Prom, homecoming, everything in front of the dad. And I'm like, what kind of dick measuring contest is this right now? You're talking about a dead woman in front of her husband that you used to get go out with her. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, that scene. I was just thinking if I was in the dad's position i would just look at him and be like what is wrong with you i do love that clancy brown that moment says uh how does he say he's like prom homecoming the whole nine yards and a little bit of new england yep. accent comes out on yards yeah clancy brown plays sheriff gus and uh i love clancy brown he's just such a great character actor he's super attractive in this movie this is the youngest yep. i've ever seen him and he's just like <laughs> bursting with charisma just movie star charisma but he's also playing like you said a piece of shit he's just that totally typical alpha male dad who like if he's your dad you just you hope he has to work late so that you don't have to deal with him when he comes home and tries to make you feel bad for not being as badass as him (laughs) so scary and true (laughs) oh man yeah because he's freaking drew's step father i don't know does it make it clear that drew and drew's mom and him are married or they just live together okay this is so strange because the kid okay so gus's son is named drew that's that's his name i forgot Mm -hmm. yep drew okay cool so drew and the mom they feel like they have this kind of distant polite relationship where i thought she was the stepmom because she also looks too young to be his mom but honestly here's what i think here's what i think happened I think Clancy Brown married her when she was like 18 and too young to know any better. And that's why she looks so young. So she's kind of like this child bride. She may have even been a little younger than 18 because Sheriff mm-hmm. Gus does seem like that kind of guy. And um, yeah, cause she just, she doesn't seem like she's strong enough to deal with being married to Sheriff Gus. And uh, yeah, she's a strange character. I scratched my head at her a little bit. A little bit, and it feels like it's like, oh, I love you, son. And then the son's like, well, if you love me, why are you with Gus? And then she's like, yeah, I don't know. That's what it feels like. But you I know? think they're both biological parents. I, I, I don't think there's any step going on. No, I think I think Gus actually is a stepdad because I think really Jeff. Okay. Yeah, I think Drew actually tells Jeff that like, yeah, it's my stepdad, and he hates me. You know, and oh. and that's why later in the movie, um, Drew's mom. Um, let's um drew go out for halloween she says be back by 10 and when gus comes home he's like where's the boy and he finds out she she let him out he goes like damn it you told me to raise this boy as a, as a child and you're gonna let him go and break the rules when i put, put, put my foot down lay down the law um, lay down the law yeah that's <laughs> another thing about gus he loves his one-liners doesn't he throughout this whole movie it's all oh, one-liners yeah. for him um, but yeah, Drew, I really like him as a fat kid, as a character. He's a fat kid. <laughs> Childhood obesity is a thing of Stephen King, I guess. Um, but he has a dog named Zoe, and Zoe's such a cute dog. But um, one night when um, Gus is pissed off at the dog for ruining, for being a cock block to him, um, he goes and shoots the damn dog, and Drew has to bury the dog he's loved and and buries it in the pet cemetery because that's like 
you know, the folklore of the town, you know, and Zoe comes back. Um, and you know, what's funny <laughs> is when Zoe does come back, Gus gets pissed off again and tells about, boy, why did you lie to me? Lie about your dog. You don't think that thing's going to come up? And like, says you're grounded and say goodbye to Zoe. Cause I'm tying him out back. And I'm like, what kind of monster are you? <laughs> you yeah. shot a dog. <laughs> I really like Drew too. He's a sweet kid. Um, I don't think the actor yeah. is like super strong, but he does the best he can. And I, I like the character. Um, I, I thought it was weird that like in the beginning, the movie positions Edward Furlong as the lead, but I, right? I kind of felt like for the second act of this movie, Edward Furlong kind of drops off and Drew becomes the lead. Did you feel that way? Yeah, I did too. And that's why I was so surprised um, later on in the movie where Drew and his mom um, meet a terrible fate. And I'm like, well, this was not how I saw the movie to be at all. Because throughout the whole movie, Jeff is being bullied, I feel like, every at every turn or him and his dad are on a rocky relationship. I feel like Jeff's dad is good for being a widower. Um, yeah. and then they have, um, a maid much like the first movie named Marjorie, I have to who's talk really about young. Yeah. She's really young and a little too obsessed with, the uh, the deceased wife and her belongings. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I do want to talk but, about, I want to talk about Edward Furlong's family. So I really like Anthony Edwards as the dad. I was really happy to see him because I've seen him in a lot of eighties teen movies. I've never seen oh, him this okay. old. Uh, and he's like losing his hair, so that was crazy to see. Interesting. But he's good. He's a sweet dad. But the housekeeper was so strange because she's very young. She's very attractive, very very attractive, and it's weird. <laughs> the movie, I felt like they were positioning her as like a love interest to the dad, which I immediately was like, that's weird because the mom just died. But then it never goes there, but it always feels like it's building there, but it never does. I don't know. I thought she was a weird character. I don't know what the point she of her was, is. Yeah, she was weird too. And I feel like for the first half of the movie where it introduces her, we know what she is. She's in one or two scenes and then she's gone until the third act. And then the third act is like, oh, moving right along the plot. Um, Man, I just, there's a lot of character drop-offs, but I feel like it really focuses on the main stuff, which is... I feel like this movie focuses on like the pet cemetery aspects the most with the dog Zoe terrorizing everyone in this whole movie. I think that's done so well. And I actually feel really shocked and frightened when Zoe is around because Zoe has these pierced red eyes um, when it comes back alive from the dead. And and like no one is like everyone's unflinched about the look of this dog. And when <laughs> Jeff and Drew bring the dog to the dad, uh, to Jeff's dad to take a look at, and he not one at one point goes, yeah, this dog was probably dead or something, you know, because like, there's no heartbeat. It's blood looks different. And he's just refusing to acknowledge that this dog was, is probably not okay. And ties it into a kennel. I kept thinking like, I like that though. Like these little, they, people could see as like lazier plot holes. I like that. I don't know why. I just do. I just like how it focuses. Like the movie's called Pet Cemetery, and this movie really pushes that up to the forefront. Yes, we had the same thought because I've always thought it was weird that the original Pet Cemetery is called Pet Cemetery, but so little of it really has to do with pets or with a pet cemetery at all, really. Because mm-hmm. they really go they go beyond the pet cemetery anyway. But this movie is right. is much more focused on animals. Um, and I like that too. It kind of leads into another thing I want to talk about, which is the weird sexuality of this movie. And and sometimes oh, you see the boy. mom with a dog head in dream sequences. <laughs> Including this in movie. a imaginary sex scene that the dad has with his dead wife. And you've got, it's huh. like, 
it's it's kind of like I think in isn't Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors you see like a topless woman with like Freddy Krueger's head it's like that you yep. got a topless woman with a dog head <laughs> and the sexuality <laughs> of this movie makes me very uncomfortable it's all very strange and it's totally unnecessary but it's there and it's weird right yeah it, it I think even Clyde the bully was like calling um jeff's cat when he first adopts it he calls it a pussy and then he goes like oh he's good about grabbing pussy and i'm like these kids are like in middle school or like freshmen in high school how i didn't even know what that term meant then but they do and it's just so weird and then everybody has a dream sequence um at some point or another connected to the pet cemetery so i'm pretty sure drew had a dream about zoe um and then jeff had a dream about his mom throughout the whole movie which that's our call back to the first movie um uh, with the dad having, um, you know, uh, visitors from the pet cemetery come and talk to him, which feels like American werewolf in a way. Oh, um, yeah. uh, but I do like that they incorporated that because it's like when something dramatic in the real real world happens at night, some supernatural horror happens as well. Um, and there's a lot of like foreshadowing this movie i like i don't know if you noticed um with gus and his obsession with the rabbits in front of his house was a constant thing yeah and later on the movie you see kind of that the emphasis of locking the kettles in the beginning of the movie a lot as well um i like that i didn't notice that as much as in the first movie i feel like the first movie is like explaining what the pet cemetery is and like pets are like churches out and then that's about it and then the question of like, what if you put humans in it? But then this movie finally goes like, what if? And then they take it to a hundred miles per hour, you know? Yeah. Well, talking about the animals leads me into the other thing we've got to discuss about this movie is how insanely disturbing all the animal violence is. I cannot (laughs) believe, I almost feel like I almost like legitimately feel like we need a trigger warning for this discussion because the animal violence is so hardcore and disturbing. And I'm just not used to seeing that because I mean, there's a whole website dedicated to does the dog die.com where it's dedicated to telling you like, do you have to watch a dog die in this movie? Cause a lot of people can't handle watching that kind of thing. And oh, a lot of horror movies have dogs dying. Like the original Halloween does, but you see, you watch Gus absolutely gut these bunny rabbits. And that was the most disturbing thing. I think I've seen a horror movie in a long time. Like I had to sh- cover my eyes. I covered my eyes during a horror movie <laughs> and I'm a seasoned horror guy. Uh, because I don't want to watch these bunny rabbits just get gutted to death by Sheriff Gus. There, there's a big disclaimer in the credits of this movie that says, like, no actual <laughs> animals were harmed during the making of this. And I believe it, but it, even there's, like, a, a pile of just mangled kittens in mm-hmm. this movie. And yeah, uh, I'm I, a cat guy. That was horrifying. Right. I kept thinking, I was like, i got to run home and see my cat Jonesy make sure she's okay. <laughs> Um, I just I did feel uncomfortable, especially the beginning with the bullies, with the cats that Jeff had, um, just like the mishandling of them. I've I just I don't know. Like I'm not one of those people who are like, oh, I love my dog more than this person and stuff like more than anything. Like I, I value human life, but like when I see like animals not being treated with respect, I get really uncomfortable because it's like those animals can't speak for themselves, and you taking advantage of them like that, you know. I don't like that. And this movie really pushes that button of like disregard about the animals. And I'm just like, you know, now Jeff's dad is really nice. Obviously I like that. He's a vet. I like him more as that than like as a doctor from the first movie. Um, one thing I also really love is um, the Halloween costumes that Jeff and uh, Drew have. Did you notice that? And then when they were in the cemetery, 
Oh yeah, that's something that I forgot to mention. Is yeah, this is a Halloween movie. I love mm-hmm. any Halloween movies. This is one. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dracula and Jason Voorhees. That's their costumes. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say. I feel like that. That those are like. I'd be like. I feel like a cool kid if I was like that. You know, because it's like I get to go to a cemetery and be dressed up like this. But then your parents says you have to be back by ten. You're like, Mom, this is the time when the best stuff happens. Yeah, that's what I want to see with, with kids in a Halloween movies. I want to see them go to a cemetery and stay out past curfew, you know? Right, Perfect. and then share scary stories. How can we never right. do that? Just go to a, a, a cemetery and talk about scary made-up like stories. I'll, I'll send you an invite next time I do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, what did you think about the mo- like the score, like the music soundtrack of this movie? <laughs> So much of it is a freaking metal score, dude. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> it's nuts, especially the third act, like basically battle scene that it kind of is. And it's just got this <laughs> ripping metal going on throughout it. It's it's wild. Man, Mary Lambert, you crazy mad woman. I respect you so much. Uh, man, dude, I just was like thinking throughout this movie, and maybe you did too, it was like not only is this a sequel that's like starkly different to the original, which I think makes really good sequels. I think too, like you said earlier in the show, the sequels that really try to be like the original, I don't think works. It's like, you got a chance to do something to add on to this, make it stand out, make it different. And I think that's why I love the sequel so much is because it definitely does that, but it also makes callbacks to the original, but not makes it exactly connected. There's so many callbacks to the original with, um, um, one one person saying like I haven't seen this many animal killings since the cat church came or like we used to have a doctor that moved moved to the town and had similar issues and stuff like that the the folk the folklores like I love those little breadcrumbs to like if you haven't seen the original that's okay but if you watch the original first you'll appreciate these small parts of dialogue yeah can I get critical now because I don't think this movie's perfect. Uh, yeah, I guess if you have no, what I'm trying, I was trying to think of a one liner that Gus said because he had so many, but yes, let's, let's get into it. Cause when I say this movie is awesome and I love it, I'm not also saying it's like the best movie ever made. <laughs> no. Yeah, I know. And most of the things that are just insane about this movie, I love, but my main problem with this movie is I don't think Edward Furlong really has a character. Um, like he's very boring. And like I said, I feel like he just kind of drops off for the second act. And then suddenly in the third act, he's the star again, but I don't feel like I've been on a journey with him. Cause I kind of, I was starting to connect more with drew and not with him. And when he makes the turn to wanting to bury his mom in the pet cemetery and get Sheriff Gus to help him, I don't really buy it because I don't feel like there's been a buildup to that decision. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And maybe I sound insensitive, but to me, he feels like the sad boy character. We're sad for him and care about him because his mom died and that's it. You know? Yeah, sure. And even then when him and his dad have conflict, um, his dad's like, I've let you get away with a lot for these last couple of weeks and stuff like that. You know, I'm like a couple of weeks and a kid's mom died in front of him. Like be a little more sympathetic. But then I felt, caught myself thinking like, oh, I'm coming with more excuses to why he should be cared about because he's just this sad person. Yeah. And I'm not saying I don't care about him. Um, I'm just saying that like, I feel like he stops being the lead and then he does again, but I haven't been on a journey with him and I, I don't get any kind of buildup in his character for him to have an arc because he kind of has an arc in this movie, but it just appears it's not built up to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially in the part where, he seems to be controlled by his mother who comes back alive. And I'm like, where did this come from? You know? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I Like I said, I thought Drew was going to be the main character because Zoe was the dog on the loose killing everyone. And when um, Gus ends up dying, I did think at one point during that whole sequence, Jeff was going to be like, mm, let me bury my mom in there now too. You know? Mm-hmm. It never happened. I felt like Gus was more of a character. Oh, Gus, it, for my money, is the star of this movie. Like, Clancy Brown crushes it. He's he's just like, he is the bursting with charisma movie star of Pet Cemetery 2. And uh, I love him. But the thing that confuses me about him is he, he feels nothing like anyone else I've seen that's come out of the Pet Cemetery because he seems more himself than anything else that's come back. But just wild and crazy and kind of almost more fun <laughs> and he brutally murders that bully i don't know he's he's very strange when he comes back but it's very entertaining right I and mean, that's another part i liked about this sequel with the pet cemetery it really kind of goes the step further of like this is more i guess explanation of what the pet cemetery is capable of doing Versus just bringing people to life and what you get with the original. I feel like with this one, it's like, to call back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, this would be like more of what the family would be like if they had more screen time in a crazier world. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. And and, and the thing about Edward Furlong, that's kind of my only legitimate problem with this movie. Because everything else that's weird and bonkers, like... I, I really enjoy this is a really fun movie even if it is like overly disturbing but the overly disturbing stuff almost adds to it this movie's so gory it's so gory I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe that they got away yeah. with it yeah I, I have that in my notes as extremely gory movie <laughs> because it yep. really is um I, I also I think the movie ends I think better than the first movie I like how Jeff has a monologue with his dad and his dad saying, let's get the hell out of this town. And they drive off and um, Jeff calls back to what Drew had said that everyone dies, you know, and it shows pictures of every person who's died in this movie. Yeah, it's like an in memoriam at the Oscars for real people that have died. It's really, really weird. Yeah, and I kind of like it. And then the 80s, 90s music plays again and I'm like, hell yeah, (laughs) you know? Um, here's my question I have it's not as good as yeah go ahead oh no no go ahead keep going it's okay I I was gonna say the the final song it's not as good as the Ramones Pet Cemetery from the first movie but it is good right oh yeah that's a good yeah I think it's I I had the the subtitles on when I watched the second one and I could they gave me the lyrics to the songs and one part's literally just (laughs) like fuck fuck and I'm like wait this is really the lyrics (laughs) to this song (laughs) Um, what did you think about the whole, the, through everything hits, shit hits the fan with the mom coming back alive and controlling everything. What did you think about that? Yeah, well, it just all contributes to being an absolutely bonkers, crazy third act that I was not expecting. And, and like I said, it does feel like a third act battle scene because the bully comes back to life too. And he's trying to kill everybody. And they have this the epic fight with the rip and metal score and everything. Um, you know, the mom is creepy. I was confused by her because she looks totally unblemished from being dead for weeks. I mean, she's been dead for weeks and she got electrocuted to death, but she looks totally normal and no one else from the pet cemetery has ever been like that before. So I thought that was weird. I don't know how to explain that. That's true. Um, I kind of like how in the second movie, 
Drew is the local who's helping the new person who's in town, but he doesn't feel so overbearing like in the first movie. You know what I mean? Are you talking about Judd as being overbearing? Yeah, just a little bit. Oh, you know, I like love he's Judd. an older he's my favorite ma- part of the movie. Well, he's just like he's like the older man with like I don't know, I like that they're kids instead of like they're adults. You know, when sure. Pet Cemetery, I like the movie because the atmosphere and I like the characters. But when I was watching the second one, I kept thinking. I kind of believe the Pet Cemetery a lot more because these are kids interacting with it than these adults. I do think it being about kids was a good change to make. That was a good direction. Mm -hmm. I I just feel like if I want something a little bit crazier, a little bit more fun, I'm going to put two on. But if I want to feel a little more sentimental with some good scares, I'm going to put the first one on. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I really like Mm -hmm. this. Like I said, like I don't like it as much as the first one. But I really enjoy it. It's bananas. I had so much fun watching it. Yeah, I love the part where Gus goes, no brain, no pain. And then he starts reading the Miranda rights while trying to chase and kill these people. I love it when he says something like, life is full of lessons. No one's above them. Not you, not me. That's right. I can't tell if I love him or I'm so scared by him. I'm scared by him, but I love watching him. Yeah, I, it's sad that there's people like that that probably exist, and it's scary. <laughs> oh, there are so many people like us that exist. Just these alpha male dads that are super overbearing and domineering. Yeah, I'm glad I That's don't. Right. I didn't have one of them, I'm glad, but I know a lot of people did. Right. They're probably the dads that go to Applebee's with their wives wearing football jerseys and sitting at the bar and be like, hey, babe, I'll be right back. I'm going to get a few beers. And then stays the whole time there laughing and making friends. They try to flirt with the the bartender, but she's just really annoyed and wants to get off work. (laughs) So um, I want to talk a little bit more about the director, Mary Lambert, because I've only seen one more of her movies besides these two. And it's Halloween Town 2 Calabar's Revenge. She directed, yes, she directed the sequel to Halloween Town, which we both know is very near and dear to our friend Seth Garrett's heart. Absolutely. Um, Halloween Town is not near and dear to my heart. I think it's okay. Um, Right now, Stephanie and I are going through the Halloween Town movies. We're going through the franchise. She really enjoys it, and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm happy to go along for the ride. But I really think Halloween Town 2 sucks. Like, I really don't like it at all. But I think it's because... Mary Lambert's not able to use her strengths in that movie because her strength is insane, fucked up, demented horror. Like that's what she does best, which is why that I I wish she had a long career of horror movies, but she didn't because I think she was a female director at the wrong time when Hollywood wasn't really going to let that happen. But um, yeah, so I, I don't like Halloween town too, but she did direct, I think it's a direct to video urban legend sequel. Like Urban Legends, a oh. you know a '90s slasher, and I really yep, dig yep, it. Yep, <laughs> I know the sequel to Urban Legend is Urban Legends Final Cut, but this movie is called Urban Legends Bloody Mary, and it's from 2005. Mm. I kind of want to check it out now. It looks like everyone on my letterbox rated it below three stars, but I'm still curious. <laughs> <laughs> I I only I didn't I don't know much about Mary Lambert at all. Um, I looked at her filmography, and it seems like she did a lot of music videos and stuff like that too. Oh, um, and a few TV episodes. So that's pretty interesting. I was surprised how she did these two movies and then they drop off. I feel like if you do a Stephen King adaptation film, I feel like that's pretty safe and secure in terms of a career. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, I, I think she was a female director at the wrong time. I think she would have been more successful now, you know? Yeah. I mean, look at Jennifer Kent. I mean, she's only done two movies in a decade. Like, come on. Yeah. But she's already one of the most exciting horror voices right now. One of the scariest, but one of the most exciting. Mm. 
Right, right. Um, but yeah, no, I really like these movies. And when it comes to Stephen King adaptations, like I didn't see Sleepwalkers, The Dark Half, and these other films you've, you've mentioned. I have seen Creepshow 1 and 2 and love it. Um, but um, when it comes to Stephen King, I'm still a little bit more foreign to it. But I think if more movies are like Pet Cemetery 2, I'm very excited. All right, well, Chris, let me tell you right now. Sleepwalkers is a Chris Hurtado movie all the way. You will love <laughs> Sleepwalkers. It's a lot like this movie. It's it's less demented than this movie. Well, in, in other ways it is, but it's so fun. It's so weird. It's so crazy. I love Sleepwalkers. You would you would really dig it. <laughs> yes, oh, I love it. I, I I like. It's it's getting near October, but. I, I, I'm getting really giddy and over-anticipating October because it's like I'm hyping it because I'm so excited for it and I'm watching movies now, you know, and I'm trying to calm that down. But, man, I am super excited to see what I'm going to be watching and I want to explore more stuff. So I think this movie, Pet Cemetery 2, was a step in the right direction. And if Screen Factory has a sale, I probably will have that movie in my cart 100%. I just got a notification from a YouTuber I kind of follow named Michael Keane. I like him because he does Vinegar Syndrome reviews. But he just he just started a live video right when we started recording called Scream Factory Sale with a question mark. So maybe there's one coming. I don't know. That's not necessarily a scoop, but maybe. My wallet. My wallet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, Chris, I just think it's too bad that this October we can't do an Inside the Sequel episode on Halloween Kills. What a bummer. That would be fun. (sighs) boy halloween 2018 which i still think they should have came up with something different because i hate saying halloween 8 2018 um was one of my favorite theater experiences of my life and i could only think how great halloween kills was gonna be as well as seeing Candyman, um the remake as well oh Candyman! Um, i'm so hyped for i'm so right right i know oh man um, but yeah, no, Daniel, I'm so glad you brought these movies, um, you know, to, to, to be talked about. Cause I probably wouldn't have, I would have probably checked out Pet Cemetery at some point for sure. Uh, because it got a recent re-release, I think last October and yeah, it had a 4k, 4K release as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you picked it up. Um, but I was like, not about it. No, you didn't. Um, no, I have the standard I don't know if you Blu-ray. Did. Standard Blu-ray. Dude, Heath at Serum Midnight would say, invest in your future collection. Future proof your collection. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Heath, if you're listening to this, we love you. And if you want to so have much. a sequel talk, let us know. Um, but yeah, I, I'm so glad because it led to Pet Cemetery 2. It's like it's great when you discover movies you didn't know if you were going to love or not. And then you watch it and you did. But there's one movie I did want to talk about really quick since I have you on here. I saw in your letterbox you talked about Underwater. Talk to me about that. Oh, yeah. Underwater is good. It. I watched it with... Uh with my wife, Stephanie, and it made her like anxious. Like it stressed her <laughs> out at points. Um, she was okay by the end, but it was a stressful movie for her. And yeah, it's intense. It's fun. Um, I liked it. You know, I didn't love everything about it, but Kristen Stewart like makes that movie. She's so good. And I almost feel bad for how much I like TJ Miller in that movie. Cause I know he's kind of a terrible person, but I like him in that movie. I have to oh, say. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> Uh, I really like that movie. That's one thing. I, the reason I bring it up is because that movie to me brought up a comparison and it, when it comes to sequels. It's like people say like, because I read a comment about that movie and people were like, it feels like Alien. It feels a little bit like this and this and I'd rather have just watched those movies instead. And I was thinking sometimes people talk about like the sequels like that, but I like that and I don't think that's a bad thing. So that's why I love doing this podcast because because movies are so similar to something, 
and but different i think that's okay wouldn't you agree yeah i think sometimes that can hurt really hurt a movie on a first watch where you're like uh, i wanted something new and different and it's basically alien and it, this movie isn't quite basically alien but there are definite no. similarities it's actually mm-hmm. shocking how much it feels like a space movie but it's not in space <laughs> it's underwater right but I think on repeat viewings, if you're like, oh, I want an alien kind of movie, but not alien, I'll check out Underwater or even I'll check out Galaxy of Terror, that Roger Corman alien ripoff or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. The other thing. Um, oh, gosh, I lost my train of thought. Never mind. You go ahead. <laughs> no, it's OK. Basically, what we're saying, folks, is give sequels a chance, even ones that you've heard are dumb and boring or not good at all, because you might discover a perfect gem like Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. You are all my children now. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2. You've got the body here. I've got the brain. Freddy's Revenge. Uh, anyway... Uh, Daniel, you have any more thoughts about Pet Cemetery? Your sequels you want to spew? Because I know I'm going to have you on here anyway, another time. Oh yeah, we'll be back. So I'll bring our thought, other thoughts. Maybe I'll bring another um, top five list. And one thing I have to say is just you know check out Cobweb's podcast. It's pretty good. Um, also, if, if I can just um, if I can just hype one other podcast that I've really been enjoying lately. It's called Rank and Review Podcast. It's Rank, the letter N, and then Review. This guy, Larry Parsons, he uh, it, for every episode he has a topic, and he picks six movies in that topic, and him and a guest review all six movies and then rank them. Um, I was actually a guest on this podcast back in January, but that's not necessarily the point. Uh, it's a really, really good podcast. I think everybody should check it out. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't heard of it, but I'm glad I like that concept. Um, and if you're on it, I'm definitely going to listen to it for sure. Uh, Dana was also on the Dana Buckler show, which I definitely recommend you check out and listen to. That's uh, a really good one. Um, I also want to talk about Aaron Pym. He has a YouTube channel where he does live streams and Danny, you brought me to his attention and I am, I'm in love with that man. I want to be in his basement all the time. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> so Aaron, you want, if you're listening, you want to be chained up in his basement, don't you? <laughs> that's right. Um, but uh, Daniel, thank you so much for being on this episode with me and talking about such a good movie that uh, I, I, I would never watch if you didn't bring it to my attention. Um, and just just cherishing what is sequel movies. Um, so um, if you want to listen to more, I definitely recommend checking out Cobwebs because even if you're not crazy about what the genre is, it still makes for interesting listens and conversations. He has great guests on there. All great people. Check it out. There'll be a link of that down below. But uh, Daniel, thank you so much for being on this episode. And as always, I'm your host, Chris, here at Inside the Sequel. And remember, if you're not burying your dead animals in a pet cemetery, do you really even care about sequels? Anyway, we'll see you next time. (laughs) 